As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, um, to pray with me. Father, we pray as we open your word, we do that. We pray to remind us of our utter dependence upon you. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask you who breathes forth this word from this apostle, that you would resonate this word within us, illuminate it to us, that we may hear it and understand it and believe it, and that it would then be used by you uh, to transform our lives. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, please. And to read beginning with verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, please. This is the word of the Lord, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful uh, confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. If you bear it, if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face... To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak, and I'm not weak, who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King uh, Eretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. You might notice this morning that uh, in in the bulletin, there's no listed scripture text. And when that happens, it's usually because I I wasn't sure uh, when I went to print. I was was pretty sure I was going to skip this passage and move on to chapter 12 because as a much clearer um, flow and application. And this passage sort of feeds into it, so it's going to kind of, you know, fudge a bit and move on. But as as Friday wore on, I was convicted that I should 
take it up. And then I realize that there's something quite helpful here, oddly enough, from the scripture uh, that we can linger with to lead us uh, to lead us to um, to the table. Paul is boasting, uh, and again we say that sort of in italics or or with sort of air quotes, if you will. You know, he's 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 boasting. We know he's being being sarcastic here because he's in a situation you might remember that there are people in Corinth, imposters as he calls them, and then he gets more specific, he calls them false apostles as they're uh, in Corinth, and, and they've sort of taken Paul's place, and Paul's not so concerned about losing his place, that's not the point. What he's concerned about is that they're preaching a false gospel. Paul never worried about his place. You might remember, if you read with the scripture, in his letter to the church in Philippi, in Philippians in chapter 1, Paul speaks of those who are preaching the gospel uh, with bad motives. But Paul says, and, 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 and what's happening when they're preaching the gospel with bad motives, is it make, it's making life more difficult for Paul while he's in prison. But Paul says, that's okay, because they're preaching the true gospel. So Paul is never worried about his own position, his own place in any of that. But here he's concerned, not about his own place and position, but here he's worried about the fact that the people in Corinth, the church there, has sort of uh, taken in these imposters, these false apostles, and they're actually preaching a different Jesus and, and a different gospel. Uh, you notice that from chapter 11, verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one we received, or if you accept a different gospel. And then finally, he just, he kind of plays his hand in verse 13, which we saw last Sunday. And he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond. Respond uh, to their to their their deeds. Now, you might ask the question then, Paul. Then, 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 why are you boasting? Well, they did. They boasted of their credentials. They boasted of the people they knew who would commend them. They boasted of of their spiritual experiences, their visions, and their dreams. Um, um, they boasted of the fact that they could command. High fees. They could be paid for what they were doing. And none of which Paul ever, ever did. None of those things. Uh, so you say, well, Paul, why are you sort of boasting? And, and he would sort of wink at you and he said, you got my point exactly. I mean, why would I ever boast? How foolish. Who is sufficient for the calling that I have? No one's sufficient for this calling that I have as an apostle. And why would anyone boast in themselves when you can boast of Jesus? And why would anybody think that any credential that I would have, as Paul would put it, according to the flesh or worldly credentials, why would anybody be impressed with anything about me? But the church in Corinth is. And so, okay, I'll I'll play this game, if you will, although we would say with a rather Pauline kind of twist to it, if you can feel his sarcasm as he works through these. You see, the difficulty with what's happened because of these false apostles, you can see it in verse 20. He says, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on air or strikes you in the face. He said, this is, this is what's happened 
because of these false apostles. They've actually enslaved you. Now, how could that be? Well, we can say a couple of different ways. Perhaps uh, they enslaved them in a sense that the gospel they preached was a rather legalistic one. It could well be that they were saying, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but... It's okay to believe in Jesus, but you have to add these points of obedience, coming under the law of Moses, obedience, really to be accepted by God. And it could well be that some of these um, laws were ones that these false apostles had thought right to obey. And so they were actually imposing their own commandments on The people, and so the people were enslaved. But even in a more general way, it's most likely that the people bought in and were enslaved by these particular leaders. That is, that they gave to these leaders an unqualified obedience, an unqualified submission. And so rather than serving Christ, the people were serving these leaders. And rather than the leaders actually serving the people, They were calling the people to serve them. You know, Paul's M.O., as he put it, was never to be served, but always to serve. And so a distinction that Paul would make of anyone who's leading in the context of church life is that they should be there not to be served. It's not their agenda that the church is fulfilling, but they're to, to actually, the leaders are there actually to serve the people. Now, you might be thinking when you hear that expression to serve them of of Jesus, right? Who said, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the model, the example of anyone who leads. Now, please understand, Jesus is more than an example, Right? He's our Savior, and he's the Lord. But he's also perfect. And so in his life we follow, we're to follow, by way of the Spirit, uh, the, the example, the lead of Jesus. And, and that, was, that was Paul's uh, life and at least hope. <clears throat> you might remember from 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, in verse uh, 24, Paul says, Not that we lord it over your faith, right? But... We work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul says, we serve you, that we're working for you, so that you will have joy in the Lord Jesus, in following him. On another occasion, you might remember, Paul said, imitate me, but he didn't end there. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? As I follow me, as I follow him. If I'm not following him, don't follow me, but follow me. As I follow him. And then later in this same letter in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 verse 5. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Not commending ourselves here. At the end of the day, I'm not interested, Paul would say, in you knowing who I am. Other than a follower of Jesus. I don't proclaim myself. What we proclaim here is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The end of the day, Paul says, the one I want you to know is Jesus, not me, right? So except in 2 Corinthians, in in various places, but except in 2 Corinthians, we find very little of Paul's 
autobiography. We find bits and pieces of things, but, but he's not interested really in people knowing him as much as he's interested in people knowing Jesus. And, and he only shares about his own life so that they would know uh, Jesus and follow uh, after him. You might remember if you were here last Sunday during the Sunday school hour when we ordained some elders, that one of the things that we said about leaders in the church, elders in the church, is that they are to represent the mind of Christ to the congregation. They're not representatives of the congregation, per se. In other words, we don't take a straw vote and see how they should lead the church. But they're to, to, to seek Christ, how he would lead the church, how he desires to lead the church, and to seek him by way of becoming wise according to the things of God from the Scripture, and then lead the church, but represent the mind of Christ. But, but what is the mind of Christ? How is... How is a person, a leader, to exemplify the mind of Christ? Well, we read of the mind of Christ in Philippians and chapter 2, verse 1. The apostle writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. You see? That's the mind of Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm not here to enslave you to me. I'm here, if you could put it like this, to enslave you to Christ. That I'm to serve you so that you will be his servant, not mine. And Paul says, you've been, you've, been, you've been enslaved by these people. You're not enslaved by me, obviously, because you're not following me at all. But you've been enslaved by these people. And then he goes on. He goes on to tell them, not only that, but, but they've devoured you and taken advantage of you. How would they be devouring them? Well, probably taking advantage and devouring them in a way financially. They, they've devoured them. They've taken from them rather than given to them. And Paul says, I didn't take any money from you, but, but they have. They've charged you. You've paid them. They've, they've devoured you in a sense. And so probably in this sense of financially, you, they've taken your money and you've allowed them to do that. And then finally... And then, then next he says, or put on airs. Uh, that is, that, uh, that you've been impressed by their arrogance, by their self-exaltation. That, that they've run around and commended themselves and, and you've actually bought into it. They've told you how great they are and you've said, well, they must really be. And you see, this is a great danger. And, and I don't know why, because it's nowhere in this scripture that we should ever really be impressed with each other, right? And especially impressed with the world and the credentials of the world. I often ask myself, Bill, what is it about strangers and aliens you don't understand? 
when the scripture says that we're strangers and aliens in this world, what is it? Why is it that I think that this world should feel home to me? Why do I think that, that I shouldn't feel a bit out of step in the, in, in the world? Why should I think when the world rejects Jesus and, and even me along with him, if you will, which I value and hold dear, why should I be, why should I be surprised uh, at that? One of the great dangers, and, and again, people much more wise than I would agree, that as Christians, one of the, one of the great errors of the church has been, frankly, to be impressed with celebrity believers. Um, if, 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 if a popular entertainer or athlete or politician even mentions some even tangential relationship with Christianity. We embrace them and invite them to come and speak to us. And we listen to them. And, and frankly, I say this with a smile on my face, but it grieves me to say it, that we're almost always betrayed. We're almost always disappointed eventually and yet we keep doing it because i think we have this inner thing that we should be in some way socially acceptable and it makes us feel more secure if popular people are following jesus and we can be identified with the popular people who are following jesus and we think well then everybody's going to like us because we can drop their names and say look they're believers too and you know push comes to shove doesn't help us at all. And so we really need to be, to be dangerous, cautious of that danger. And you see, there's this thing about putting on airs about, about people who try to impress us as these false apostles did with, with their spiritual experiences. Paul's going to go on in chapter 12 and he says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to boast with you. You know, I can boast with you. I'm an Israelite too. I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. And in chapter 12, he's going to tell them of a vision that he had. But when he tells them the vision, he's going to tell them also of something that came along with that, a thorn in the flesh that kept him humble because he knows the, the pride that all that can bring. So Paul rarely spoke of visions and, and these, these deep and, and impressive spiritual experiences. But, but false teachers often speak of them to impress, to grab our attention. One of, the, one of the things to be careful about, that I'm careful about, both in what I listen for and how I express myself to you and how if you'll notice how our, the leaders at Grace express themselves to you, is this little expression, God told me. Or even a little, little take some of the edge off it, God led me. Once that phrase gets out, how do you argue with someone? How do you say, I don't think that's true? When somebody says, God told me this, what do you say? No, he didn't. Right? Or God told me to do this. What, what do you say? Don't do that. But, but as leaders, we must realize that we're all fallible. 
Now, when Paul wrote the scripture, he was infallibly writing. He was writing that which was true. The Holy Spirit superintended him in such a way that, that all that he said was, was true. All that he wrote was true. And as he led, was true. But, but, but for us, we have to realize that as, as leaders, we're fallible. And so we have to always be careful to not use manipulative language to get people to jump through our hoops. It would be easy, it is easy for a pastor or elders in the church or leaders in the church to walk into a situation and say, God told us this, therefore let's go. Now, of course, elders should be praying and elders should be seeking the Lord and elders should be, should be uh, seeking uh, the scripture and, 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 and growing in wisdom and all of that to, as the great theologians would say, to learn to think God's thoughts after him. And hopefully when decisions are made, there's this good sense that, yes, God is with us in this. But there's a great danger to come and say, God told us, God told me always when... If you come to me and say, Bill, God told me, please understand, I've got an antenna going up all over the place, right? And uh, it's unlikely <laughs> that I'm going to buy in quickly. So if you want to manipulate me, there's other ways. Don't do it that way, all right? Trust me, I can be manipulated. But, but uh, chocolate, usually. <laughs> but but, but not, that, uh, not that expression. And so be very careful of church leaders. Been around a while, I've observed over time churches going in the tank who followed a God told me or a God even has led us. No, you have to trust that God is leading, obviously, and, and working through leaders, but just be cautious. Be cautious of, of that expression. Because you see, the third commandment is real, where God says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, we always think that about cussing, and it's true, you shouldn't use God's name profanely. By the way, or BTW, don't use OMG, right? You know that? That's an expression that no one should use uh, in any, hopefully it's, it's out of, when I learn of things, they're usually like 10 years past. But if anybody ever uses that expression, don't use that expression at all. Um, and so that's true. But, but there's more to the third commandment than simply using the name of God profanely. It's introducing the name of God into a circumstance where it shouldn't be introduced. To say God told me when he really didn't. So just be cautious be cautious. And they put on airs. And the church in Corinth was impressed with this putting on airs. And then he says, strike you in the face. Now, if that's literal, then it's really easy simply to say, don't let church leaders hit you. All right? Are we good there? So if, if that happens, say, yeah, I don't think that should happen. Don't let them hit you. Uh, but it's, it's likely, too, that the striking in the face is a metaphor for humiliation. So don't let church leaders humiliate you either. Humble us, yes. Convict of sin, yes. And the truth of the matter is we have to speak of sin. We're all guilty before God. We know that. But remember, we're all guilty. Not just you, but him too. And so there shouldn't be this sense of, of, of oh, you sinned like that. You did that. Well, that's unthinkable. Now you see, church leaders especially should understand we're all vulnerable to sin and to every kind of sin. I, I've shared with you before, one of, the, one of the things that I do in my own head 
as I'm talking with anyone who's sharing with me about sin in their life. And I've spoken with people who have committed pretty much every kind of sin you can imagine. And uh, to my shame, I can always build a bridge from my life to their sin. Even though I may not have committed it, I, I can see how in how I've thought about it. Or I can see how I could get that angry or I see how I could get that whatever. I mean, it's just true. But when you read of other people's sins, when you read of, of things in the newspaper, you hear about these things, a good exercise is to put yourself in that. Ryan Randolph always shares with our staff that if you're reading a passage of scripture and there's one sinner mentioned, it's you. And if you read a passage of scripture and there are two sinners mentioned, they're both you, right? And that's, that's true. And so no one, some of us are more prone to feeling humiliated when we may not have been. And we always have to, we always have to distinguish between guilt and regret, Regret is, frankly, always with us. I suspect, I don't know what's going to happen in glory with regret. But I don't think Paul ever looked at his sin of persecuting Christians and killing people and imprisoning them uh, who followed Jesus. I don't think he ever looked back at that and didn't go, rats, I'm really sorry. And so the regret for our sin, if if you're listening to a sermon or something comes up and you're reminded of your sin in the past and you feel bad about it, well... That's going to happen. But you shouldn't be humiliated in the sense of think nobody else is like this or, or that there's no forgiveness for this. That's not it at all. If ever, then that's just a manipulative thing. And so they were being humiliated. And Paul says, why are you putting yourself through this? Why would you buy into anybody who comes to you in the name of Christ, who enslaves you to themselves or who devours you or, or, and takes advantage of you or, or, or puts on airs and, and you're impressed with that or, or humiliates you? Paul says, to my shame, I must say, I was too weak for that. I couldn't get anybody to go along with me on those things. I couldn't enslave anybody. I couldn't take advantage of anybody. I'm just not that good at this, you know? Uh, And he says that tongue-in-cheek, of course, but you get the point. And then Paul goes on to talk about his life. And we've, we've read these lists from time to time. And, 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 but they're always striking. And, and the question that I have as I read this list of Paul's life is, how does this help me to know this? How did it help them to know this? What's Paul really trying to, to get at them in the midst of of, of this, Why is he writing all these things? We know it's not really just to defend himself. We know that he's not proud of these things, putting them up. In fact, and this is difficult maybe for us to, to, to gather, as we read these, this list from Paul about his life, I'm impressed. I don't know about you, but I'm impressed to go, how did he do that? That's way to go, Paul. I don't know if I could do that. But in that culture, to them, these were all shameful things. These were all shameful things. And so, 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 so Paul's writing these things, boasting, and he says, this is the best I've got. The best I've got to impress you will cause you shame to be attached to me. That's the best I've got. 
And so he writes these things. And first he tries to play their game and kind of sucks them in. He says, are you Hebrews? So am I. Israelites? So am I. Uh, uh, offspring of Abraham? So am I. I mean, I, I've got all those credentials. We could match. But I read Philippians 3 earlier so that you would know that Paul says none of those things matter. And then he goes, are they servants of Christ? Uh, I'm a better one. Now, he isn't saying they're servants of Christ. He's being sarcastic here. And he says, I'm talking like a, a madman. He says, but, but I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. So he starts just to kind of lay these things out. He says, this has been the, um, the course of my life. Um, far more labors. And when he says that, he says, I've worked harder than anyone. But they're realizing, but Paul, you never got paid for this. What an idiot. I mean, you worked harder than everybody else. And yet, you never got paid. You know how embarrassing that is for us to know? You weren't even smart enough to get paid. You weren't even good enough to get paid by anybody. So, that doesn't impress me. Far more imprisonments. Really, Paul? You, you've spent your life in rat-infested, disease-ridden, dangerous, shameful places. That's the best you've got? Imprisonments? And we realize here that, that Paul's saying, you know, there's way more that I've experienced that Luke's going to write about in Acts. Because Luke doesn't write about too many imprisonments and this and that. But you get the sense that there were, there were way more. Luke doesn't write about a lot of beatings that Paul had, just a couple. But, 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 but there were far more that actually took place. And that, that shouldn't surprise us. Luke had a different purpose. Than, he wasn't just writing a biography of Paul. He was writing to show how the gospel went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Just like Jesus had said it would. But... Imprisonments, countless beatings, he says, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less, less one. We, we know that the 40 lashes was prescribed in Deuteronomy chapter five, 25. Um, the less one was uh, a, a safeguard, really, so that, as Deuteronomy 25 says, the person wouldn't be degraded or shown to be less than human. Um, Perhaps even killed. So 40 lashes less one brutal would begin with a third of those 39 lashes on the chest and two thirds then on the back. Five times that happened. Five times. And understand, not only was that painful for Paul, but that was shameful for everyone else to see. Three times I was beaten with rods, a a Roman um, punishment. Romans were cruel. There was no limit on the number you could be beaten with a rod. Uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. That wasn't supposed to happen to him. So not only did you have the, 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 the pain of it, but you had the shame of it and the, and the unjust uh, aspect of it as well. And he says, once I was stoned. Uh, that's just unconscious. How, 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 do you even imagine that? I mean, we run by these so quickly. I was stoned one time. Three times I was shipwrecked. Um, 
When he wrote this, there was still one more shipwreck to come, at least. Paul would write about an Acts that hadn't happened by the time this was written. So we know of at least four times he was literally shipwrecked. And then on one of those occasions, a, a night and a day, he was adrift at sea, if you can only imagine that, probably grabbing a hold of a piece of wood. Then he says on his journeys, he was in danger from rivers, just crossing them. No bridges. Danger from robbers. Remember, Paul often carried sizable amounts of money with him. Collections that he had taken for the poor in Jerusalem. And so robbers along the way would as soon beat and kill you for that. So robbers, dangers from my own people. They plotted to kill him on many occasions, Jews. Danger from Gentiles. They did the same. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. So essentially, Paul was in danger everywhere he went from anybody who could be there. That was his life. Danger from false brothers. That may have been the most significant of all of this because that would not only destroy his life, but destroy his work. And that's why he was writing to the church in Corinth about all of this, because there were false brothers in Corinth, false brothers, those who claimed to be brothers, but really weren't those who claimed to knew to Jesus, but really didn't uh, people who men who might use all the right words, but mean something very different by them. Right. And and uh, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, we forget that Paul was homeless a good bit of the time. That that his 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 travel wasn't travel where there were fast food restaurants along the way that he could stop. That his travel wasn't where there was a Holiday Inn Express that he could spend the night become a better apostle by the morning. It wasn't any of that, right? For him to 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 stay, and so he spent many nights walking and moving because he wasn't afraid to go anywhere, and he would go anywhere through any place. So he might be traveling so that robbers wouldn't get him. And so they would find places to travel in various times. Sleepless nights, hunger and thirst. Again, he didn't often have a lot of money. Um, he was in prison. And the only place, to, the only time he would get food while he was in prison was not from the prison, but by people who would bring him food. And if they didn't bring him food, he had no food and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then he writes in verse 28, and apart from other things, There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And and, and, and Paul wasn't guilty of the sin that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious for anything, for your food and what you would wear. Paul wasn't anxious for food and what he would wear. He was doing exactly what Jesus said, seeking first the kingdom of God. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you love others in the midst of that with the calling that he had, he was always concerned. What's going on in the churches? He knew what was going on. He knew what was going on in Corinth. So what was going on elsewhere? And it wasn't that Paul was, was, was worried that these problems are unresolvable. He just knew enough that tomorrow will bring more. And so he said, Here's, and, and then he explained some of that anxiety. Who is weak and I'm not weak? He said, I, I, I'm a pastor. I have such deep empathy for you that when you are weak, when you lack strength, spiritual strength or physical strength, I understand that, Paul would say. I've been physically weak. I've, been, I've had diseases, perhaps this eye disease. 
could talk about some something people thought Paul uh, suffered from uh, chronic malaria that he had picked up somewhere, given how he describes himself at various times and places. He understood spiritual weakness. He understood fear. He understood discouragement. There was one point, in fact, when he was in Corinth, that the Lord actually visited him on one occasion because Paul was so down, and the Lord came to him uh, and, and said, don't be afraid, I've got people in the city. Stay. So Paul knew that kind of discouragement. And we mustn't think that when people were throwing stones at him, he, he, he didn't go, boy, this is going to hurt. You know, I, I would rather not be here. I, I get that. Or when he was in prison, he didn't become discouraged from time to time. And the difficulties without food and without water and being cold and exposed and being left for dead and in the middle of a shipwreck. Don't you wonder? He's wondering what's going on with all of this. And he said, that's my life. So who's weak? And I don't empathize. I don't feel that with you. Who's made to fall? That is to sin. And I'm not indignant. Not so much indignant about the fact that somebody fell and sinned, but the fact that there are false brothers who lead us into sin. You remember Jesus, he said, woe be to you if, 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 if you lead one of these little ones into sin. That's his point. And so Paul wrote to the church from time to time about stronger brothers helping the weak, not stronger brothers leading, to weak, leading the weak into sin. And so Paul says, I, I know that this is happening. And then he says, okay, I'll give you the, I'll give you the one last deal. Uh, you might have heard about this. You might have been impressed that right after I became a Christian, went to Damascus and, 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 and I caused a stir there and I had to escape and I escaped out of a, down a, a basket down the wall. Uh, I, I don't view that as anything heroic. I was running for my life. Here I was, a strong, powerful, prosecuting Pharisee. I'd gone to that city in order to, to enslave or to imprison uh, Christians and kill them if I had to. That's the kind of power I have. If you would look at me as a soldier, I should be one who's scaling the wall to, victor- to victory. And here I find myself in a basket of the held smelly fish. The dark of night being lowered down the wall to escape with my life. That wasn't a shiny moment. Paul says, all right, there you go. That's my boasting. (laughs) Aren't you impressed with me? So what do we get from that? Well, a number of things. I think this first, of course, we learn uh, something about our own life and just the danger for us of being impressed by worldly Achievements, being impressed with celebrity, being impressed with that which is socially acceptable. I mean, let's face it, we all like that. We all like those honors. And we see that can be a dangerous tendency for us to boast, and most especially to boast in Ourself. It, it tells us something, quite frankly, and just very quickly, and I won't dwell here, but something about those who, who preach a health and prosperity kind of gospel. We realize, okay, I think they're missing something here. Uh, I think they're, they're missing something here. Uh, and, 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 and that doesn't mean that when we're in difficulty, we don't pray that God would take it away. Chapter 12, Paul's going to have a difficulty. He's going to pray that the Lord takes it away. So what happens if the Lord doesn't take it away? 
What happens if we have an illness? What happens if we have a particular weakness? What happens uh, um, if there's even uh, a persecution that comes our way? And the Lord doesn't take it away. We pray that he would take it away. That's natural and normal to take it away. When people call me during the week and ask me to pray for them, which happens all the time, and I, I love it and I welcome it. Um, if you call and you have a sickness and I pray, Lord, I'm so glad they're sick, make them sicker, you won't call me back. Right? That's not what you're expecting. That's not something I would pray. I would pray that God would take this sickness away. But we both know, I trust, that if he doesn't, or until he does, he has a deep purpose for this. And if you're experiencing suffering, persecution that's coming your way because of something in the context of the world, uh, and we pray that, that God would alleviate that, and we, we pray that we live in peace in the world in which we live, in the city in which we live, and, and all of that, but, but we pray for our, 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 those who rule us in a secular and a civic way, uh, that they would rule in such a way that would be a blessing to us and we could, we could flourish in, in, in all those ways that we'd love to. But yet if that doesn't happen, what do we get from that? That God isn't hearing our prayers? No. That he has a purpose beyond that which perhaps we can notice and see. And what's that purpose? Well, it's the same purpose that Paul learned during his own suffering. That he's not to rely on himself. That he can't rely on himself, but that he can only rely upon God who strengthens. And he is indeed our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, right? He realizes that he has this treasure in a jar of clay. And it is really a jar of clay. But what's valuable is the treasure the gospel. And as long as that comes out, then he's filled with joy. That's the purpose for all of this, that God is glorified. No one's confused. No one ends up trying to trust in Paul at the end of the day. He's just a broken down, uneloquent in his speech, not very cool or powerful looking, not very impressive in his own life, but yet, When he talks about Jesus, people's lives are transformed. And that's all he cares about. And that's his joy, you see. That's his joy. And so that he wants us to know. Tells us something about what he thinks about suffering. Don't be surprised, as Peter says, when these trials come upon you, when these fiery trials, when suffering happens. Don't be surprised uh, by that. Paul would know that this present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. And he knows that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he knows that even though he's being slaughtered day by day by day, that nothing can separate him from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And thus he's more than a conqueror. And when he uses that expression, we use that expression. We think of more than a conqueror, one who is healthy all the time, one who is wealthy all the time. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not it. That's the one who maintains faith all the time. That's the one who continues to be faithful to God all the time. That's what it means to be a conqueror. Not only that, but we realize through all of this, that this Paul is a trustworthy servant of Christ. Trustworthy in the sense 
that he gained nothing for himself from this calling to be an apostle. I mean, if there's one thing that comes out in all the surveys about why don't why people don't trust churches, it's because they believe that pastors, church leaders, are in this for themselves. I mean, one of the reasons we don't take up an offering during the worship service, we just put the boxes back there, is because of the culture in which we live, most especially the culture in which our church started, that people are just distrustful of offering plates. How sad is that? I get it, but how sad is that? But Paul wasn't in it for himself. He, he worked. And he brought this gospel to people at great cost to himself. It was literally killing him to do this. He labored more than others. You get the sense he never resented the work. I don't know when he took a vacation, other than when he was in prison, he had some time off. But then he wrote a lot. Uh, For some reason, he never experienced, it appears, real burnout. That isn't to say that burnout isn't real in church leaders. The dearest Charles Spurgeon was depressed a great deal of the time, had had to take time off because of the kinds of struggles that were existing in London at that time for him and and the, and the cause of Christ. So we get that. But, but Paul seemed to be able to maintain through all of that his focus and his life. Never took money from the church in Corinth. Money from others. As he said, I robbed other people because I had to have something to live on. And so when we pick up these letters. I think one of the things that should draw us is to realize God so worked in this man's life that he was able to overcome his selfishness and to selflessly serve and not be served. And that was Paul's point to the church in Corinth. Not here to boast, but these things are true, you know. So you can take this word of mine and trust that my only interest is to serve you and to bless you with the real gospel of Jesus. I take nothing from you and I give you this. So the question is, what enables us as a church, church leaders, church people, What enables us not to become enslaved and not to enslave others, not to be taken advantage of and not to take advantage of others, right? Um, Not to be impressed with the credentials or the qualifications or the characteristics of another, worldly ones most especially. Um, Not to be able to talk about important things like sin and guilt and forgiveness, and righteousness, and obedience, without humiliating each other. (laughs) The answer really is quite simple. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's here that, that all the pride goes away. It's here 
that all our being impressed with one another goes away when we focus upon the cross of Jesus. It kills our pride. It kills us being impressed with each other. It kills our ability to impress each other with our own lives. Because when we come to the cross, as has been said throughout the church for centuries, the ground is level. That we all stand together. No one above the other. No one below the other. All of us together. Guilty. In need of a savior. And that savior is Jesus. Who did it all for us. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes, when we proclaim it, we ask, why did he have to die? And he came to die for our sins, because we're guilty sinners before God. None of us is impressive. Only Jesus is impressive. Never let a leader give you the impression he's more than that. Never let him give you the impression that you're more than that. Have a sense that when we come together, it's to boast in Jesus. Let's pray, Father. For me, for us, I pray that you would cause our attention to be focused upon our Lord Jesus and granted to us this bread and juice. While it's bread and juice forever, it is for us a, a sign, a seal that Jesus is present among us. And in him, in his presence, there's none of us Impressive, but him. So cause our gaze upon ourselves to dim and our gaze upon Jesus to be magnified. And we can see him. And that in him, and only in him, are we forgiven, accepted, justified. Father, I pray that we would rejoice on this morning to know that. So I pray as we come to this table uh, that you place our eyes upon him, the author and finisher of our faith.
for the joy set before him endured humiliation that we might be reconciled to you. This I pray in Jesus' name.